Hey, did you know that the podcast you're listening to right now is actually part of a network of podcasts dubbed the Amazing Friends Podcast Network, Ethan Parker Smith? I did, Griffin Sheridan. And did you know that for other great podcasts, comics, and more, you can visit SheridanandSmith.com? Huh. No shit. Stag. Man and his amazing friends. Well, howdy, amazing friends. Fancy seeing you here on this episode of Stegman and His Amazing Friends. What is this episode? I'm glad you asked. Well, actually, this past week, Ryan stepped it up a bit. He was on an official Marvel podcast, if you can believe it. They let him on. He was actually on Marvel's pull list this past week, which is hosted by Ryan Panagos, who you may know as Agent M, and Tucker Marcus. So, in lieu of one of our episodes this week, we're actually going to go ahead and run that interview that they did. Um, They actually talk about a couple of Wolverine issues from the 80s. It's really good stuff. Uh, Take a listen. We'll be back with an episode with Sam Humphreys next week. It's a really great episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But until then, enjoy this episode of The Pull List. Ryan Stegman, how are you, my friend? I'm fantastic. How are you? Doing great. Uh, as as Tucker, you mentioned before we started rolling, Ryan, you're a podcast pro. Oh, how's the, the podcasting world been treating you these uh, these last couple of months? Um, I like it. I think that we've started to find a uh, groove with it. We've we've had some fun guests on, and the the more that we do, we just talk about comics. The easier it's been, and the more it's been fun for us. So, you know, I do no preparation. I just show up, and we just start talking, pretty much. <laughs> oh, I, I hope you brought that authentic Stegman energy to this episode of Hell yeah. Marvel's Pullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no no plans to say anything. <laughs> Okay, Mr. Ryan Stegman, host of Stegman and his amazing friends podcast. We are going to talk about Wolverine issues 31 through 34 from the late 80s, early 90s series. Uh, These are by Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri and a bunch of other amazing creators. Uh, So, Ryan, why did you want to talk about these? Um, I just, I, I kind of, this is how I tend to read comic books. If people always ask me what I'm reading right now, and my answer is never like what's on the shelf at the moment. I just, I just don't keep up in that way anymore. You know, I've, I had my, my heyday where I was, you know, $50 a week at the comic book store every week, but that's just not how I consume comics anymore. And this just happened to be the one that was on my nightstand when you guys asked. And I really, I, I loved it and I was really into it. And so I figured this would be a good place to go. Is there any like tangible influence that you could see in terms of like what you might be reading now versus like how you approach a page or how you read a script? Um, well, so the, the the artist of the Wolverine that we're going to talk about is Mark Silvestri, and he's one of my all-time favorite artists. While I was reading this, I definitely saw a lot of things that he was doing that um, I definitely have pulled from. But, you know, I, I hadn't read this before I uh, before I read it this time. So I, I had seen a lot of Mark's old work, but I was much more familiar with, you know, his image comic stuff um, than I was with this stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like I, I pull a lot from Mark um, and it was interesting seeing it in sort of like its infant stages. Mm-hmm. What's funny, because you say his early work and I, I guess that kind of makes sense because Mark is 
probably still active drawing stuff for Top Cow and, and, right. and Image and stuff. But his first work uh, was in like 81, 82. Uh, and his first Marvel work, which is, this is bonkers to me. His first Marvel piece was a Conan the Barbarian story in 1982. Wow. Which is wild. He did a bunch of Conan like way back in his early days. Like that's how he got his start at Marvel. And of course, you know, like I think of him as an uncanny X-Men artist first and foremost. I don't even like his Wolverine is not even my first thought, but right. I think Wolverine is like they they took him and like said, "All right, we need Wolverine to be the book." the solo title for the X-Men and they put Mark on it. Of course. Yeah. He's, he's one of the best, uh, you know, figure artists that have ever done it. You know, he's clearly from the John Buscema line, which makes sense why he was doing, um, Conan as well. But yeah, this stuff is pretty wild. Um, he, he was, you know, his, just his figure work and his, uh, his expressions and all that stuff was so advanced at that time. This is interesting because normally when we have people on to do like little reading clubs and things like that, a lot of folks that we've had on pick like their all time favorite book or the book that like most impacted them as, you know, a young person or whatever. So this is very interesting to get insights on something that's just like, oh, yeah, I have this on hand and, uh, you know, we've only kind of looked at it for the first time recently. Um, you touched on it a little bit just there, but could you expand on when you a professional comic book artists are opening and reading a book. What struck you about this uh, in particular, however specific that is, however much of that is the art, however much of that is the story? Well, uh, a lot of it, a lot of times I do tend to think of it as what I would have thought if I read this when I was a kid. You know, I, I, I try to go back to that place. I didn't have access to comic books when I was, uh, until I was like 13 or 14. Um, and so when I started reading this one and I was, I was thinking about like what I would have thought about it if I was, you know, like 10 years old, if I would have read this and I would have read it over and over and over. I, I know I would have, like, mm -hmm. it's so cool. My friend Riley Rossmo, who works for, uh, DC, he said, those were the comics that I read over and over as a kid. Um, he knows everything that happens in them, uh, still to this day. And I thought that was really funny because I was just like, yeah, if I was your age when I was reading that, it would have blown my mind. My my head would have melted. I'm, I'm definitely on a kick where I'm trying to go back and read a lot of stuff that I missed because I didn't have the access uh, to it when I was younger. And this kind of falls in that category. Yeah, I'm like your friend. I, I read Wolverine. Um, this was one of like my books. I remember... It's weird. I remember very specifically as a kid, I didn't go to many comic conventions, you know, mm -hmm. the, where I, I was growing up. We didn't have a ton of money. But so we, I remember going to one comic convention and really searching for Wolverine number 41. Right. That was the book I wanted. And that one has Wolverine and Cable and Sabretooth and they're in the sewers and I, I found it. I found that that book there, and like I read it over and over and over and Is over that again. With LCD, yeah, Albert and LCD. They're they're you know we've talked about them a bunch on this show. The everybody knows my deep love for them, and that's because of this era. So like when you brought these up, I got jazzed. I was so excited for this run. 
Well, one funny thing that happened the other day was I just Googled uh, Mark Silvestri Wolverine because I just wanted to see, or I wanted to see original art, like what the originals look like because the inks in this are pretty wild. And so there was a page from Heritage Auctions that was, uh, that came up and I didn't, I haven't gotten to the LCD stuff yet. So uh, <laughs> there's this page and it's Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting and Cable's on the page, but throughout the entire fight... <laughs> Wolverine is like getting his butt kicked and holding a little girl's head. <laughs> and that's all it looks like. It just looks like he forgot to draw the body or something. So I was like, Riley, what the heck is going on here? Why is he just holding a child's head while fighting? And it was because it was LCD, the, you know, the robotic kid, you know, whatever. So that made a little more sense, but it really just looks like he's just fighting with the little girl's head in his hand the whole time. <laughs> Did you have, um, did, were you a Wolverine fan or reader uh, in particular when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember um, I was really big into Lanil, his like first Marvel stuff when he did Wolverine. Um, I I do feel like most of my Wolverine knowledge came from X-Men. Um, you know, the, like the comics or the cartoons, the comics, you, like yeah. the uh, the Joe Mad stuff when at that time he was all feral and. Joe Mad drew one of the coolest looking Wolverines. Um, I, I I was a fan, but I I do feel like when I was reading this, also I was thinking, you know, he might be one of my favorite characters, and I just haven't done the deep dive. You know, like he's definitely I I did do a little um, Wolverine run, but it was fairly short lived. Um, it was right around the time that I had a um, a kid, and so I just kind of had to step off. Uh, but I was thinking, like, you know, Wolverine's pretty cool, and that's something I should keeping the back pocket for the future he'd be a fun one to write and draw you know like he's he's just a he's a cool character yeah yeah i want to go back to the um Silvestri original art what was that like what would it look like because uh, i don't you know i've seen obviously he dan green inked um mark for for a long long time right uh, i don't think i've ever looked at the originals for these these books well i mean so mark now his stuff is very i mean there's lines all over the place it's so cool looking and so intricate um this was much um sparser and that's kind of why why i wanted to see it i just wanted to see what Silvestri's art looks like when it's not uh rendered you know as much and uh it looks like dan green was using a lot of brush i mean possi possibly all brush i would say um and it just looks you know meticulous it looks great for a minute there, I was like, I wonder if this is just like printing that it looks this wild, if this was just how printing was. And then in the middle of this trade that I have, they go into the Alan Davis issues that came out around the same time. I think it was a little little graphic novel that came out. And all of a sudden it's like, nope, that's it wasn't the printing. These guys just had a vision for how they were going to do it. And, you know, Dan Green's inks are nuts. And, you know, you they kind of. It's not like I didn't di like them at first, but they definitely grow on you as you're like, this is something different and cool. Using this this book and the discussion of this book as a little platform to jump back and forth in time a little bit, do you have any sense of perspective of how you've grown or changed as an artist over time? Even with your, you know, going back to, you know, your, your early Marvel work or whatever it might be. Is that something that you have any awareness of or is it just so like just so instinctual that it's hard to have that perspective? No, I, de I mean, I definitely am very aware, uh, especially when I look back at stuff, you know, I tend to look at what I've done immediately in the moment and think that it stinks. 
And then I'll, after a couple of years, I'll look back at it and be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. But then once I get even more um, distance from it, so like if you go all the way back to when I was doing like She-Hulks or, you know, anything like that, I can see such a, a difference and a growth artistically. Um, and I, I do sort of pride myself on growing and not, I mean, definitely evolving, but also just getting better. Like I think that you can objectively say, this is a this is better art than this was. It's interesting because I remember even going back to when I was an intern at Marvel, and I remember reading Amazing Spider-Man: Renew Your Vows. Then, one of the most fun things about reading so many comics is tracking the progress of writers or artists, just seeing them jump on with uh, you know a one shot here or a, a smaller series or something like that, and then see them kind of slowly being given more and more responsibility, bigger characters, things like that. Um, did you always have like the characters that you wanted to to tackle or is it more just a matter of the right time, the right writer, the right you know opportunity? I definitely think that I came in be you know aiming towards the right character which was for me spider-man like i i i spent my whole early part of my career chasing spider-man and i got to do a lot of spider-man you know i got to do um scarlet spider i got to do superior spider-man stuff like that but i i think that as i've evolved um i've learned that because I, I have done side you know i have moved away from spider-man and done other things like i wouldn't have known that I would have loved to draw Venom, which right. interestingly enough, when I started on, um, when I did Venom Inc., I realized I've never drawn Venom in a Marvel comic book, which is insane. And as soon as I started drawing, I was like, oh yeah, I love that character. Uh, it's the same with um, Medusa from uh, Inhumans, where I just realized all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, I love drawing this character. And you just never know. So now um, I'm less focused on specific characters and more just be more just the writer like who who mm -hmm. do i want to work with and you know for the for the i mean it's pretty much i like working with donnie so <laughs> you know i think that i would work on almost anything that he writes because um i'm sure that our sensibilities on that will end up lining up and you know so i, I think that my approach has changed over the years to i just want to work on really good comic books Speaking of really good comic books and really good writers, um, let's talk about these books here, which are all written by Larry Hama. We had Larry on, I think it was This Week in Marvel last year. Um, and just, I was like, I almost got nervous because he wrote so many books that I read as a kid. And like when I was going back and rereading them as I and going back rereading these, I was like, man, this dude was on fire. Right. These are so friggin' good. The pacing, the dialogue, mm -hmm. and the sense of, like, yes, Chris Claremont created so much of what we think about Wolverine, but I think Larry's work is really what solidifies it and gives it that really hones that voice and sharpens it. Like, when I think of the way Wolverine speaks, I think of the way Larry writes him. I might as well jump in and give the full credits for this first issue, number 31, which is written by Larry Hama with pencils by Mark Silvestri, inks by Dan Green, letters by Pat Brosso, um, colors by Glynis Oliver. Um, uh, Ryan, because you know this so well, I actually have a question for you. Where in the, like, lineage of Wolverine's connection to Japan does this fall like is this 
still early on in that being like such a part of his uh, connection or is this kind of already building on uh, a lot that's come before this is building on a lot that's come before but this solo series like this is the exploration of wolverine's non-x-men time and so the the these first three years of the solo book have been getting him into madripoor getting him into dealing with yakuza and, and dealing with japan and all these different pieces but like that goes back into the early 80s um you know when he was they were in japan and he was um you know engaged to mariko and like there's all kinds of great history during the uncanny x-men time and then into the frank miller chris claremont limited series which predates this this series by like five or six years so there's tons of of great stuff but this to me is is like this is the meat of getting to see wolverine in this environment on his own patch is one of my favorite like bonkers ass ways to take a character and and just put a little twist on them it's so good i love patch yeah i was i was really i think i love in particular, I love the antagonists that are kind of placed at odds with with uh, with Wolverine in this story. It just feels like such a perfect giant obstacle for him to like go berserker on. You know, it's just like it is just so freeing um, for that kind of madness that was delightful to read. Packed in with the kind of what I almost think of as like the setting equivalent of how wolverine talks you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's very it's dark and it's there's a brooding aspect to it and it's very um uh like laconic in a way that is just like ominous and 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 strange and very unique digging into this kind of thing is it feels definitive of the character in a way which is why I was wondering about like the the Japan aspect of it because it feels like such a a kind of microcosm of who the character is. Uh, th- this stuff also one thing that I'd like to point out is just Mark's you know the stuff that I like of Mark's now he's got these wild layouts where he's got, always got the big panel with the little panels around it like he does it on on almost every single page. This was this is really cool stuff because he was so subdued with his storytelling. It showed what a great storyteller he is. Like, there is no question about what's happening in any of these panels. I do wonder, do you think that he was, I'm curious if he was working from, you know how Buscema used to do breakdowns and then somebody else would do finishes? I wonder how tight his pencils were on this because early on the inks are so nuts. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild because one of the things that I was, that like struck me, rereading it here was how much the art reminded me of Mike Mignola. Yes. Time. I agree. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thinking the same thing, especially like, like it's just, it's those weird things that Mike does. The, the, the way the legs move, the arms, there's slight, like almost rock like shape to certain limbs that like the, the upside down triangle body shape at times, like all those and the deep, deep shadows which is a lot of what you're talking about with the inks in there i was i don't remember mark being so having that that mignola like vibe 
so heavily at this time, but I'm glad I'm glad you saw it too because I was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I happen to be reading some Hellboy stuff at the same time, and plus this this trade that I have, I don't know if you're looking at a trade, but the, it opens up with that Mignola Simonson Wolverine story where he goes to the Savage Land and all that. Oh, uh, the Jungle Adventure, right? Yeah, you you did mention the legs in this. Some of them are so hilarious. The ankles are so thin. <laughs> it's it's nuts. And they always are like. <laughs> And this is not to disparage it because I love it. Like, I think it's the coolest. I, I've actually started to already steal it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like like the way that they stand on the ground, they're never, like, planted on the ground. They're almost, like, always floating above the ground. There's, like, this sort of ethereal, <laughs> you know, just accepted that they're all, they all float instead of stand. It's so cool. So, it actually, it says by Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri on the cover, but it's got the Mignola story in it, and it's got that Alan Davis story in it, too. Ryan... H&M, what you were just saying, all of those things that you were talking about that were like that flow through this artistically or how the 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 physique of a character is rendered in these pages feels like you're describing Ryan, other Ryan over here, art to me. Like it feels very, very similar. The kind of upside down triangle, the 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 kind of um, like stone faced quality of a lot of the characters really comes out for me in the nose in particular there's this kind of like carved out of um marble like big nose that's like clearly been broken a bunch of times Mm -hmm. look that i see like directly almost one-to-one between some of these pages and some of these close-ups and then you know like what i've gotten very used to seeing with like eddie brock or or someone nowadays in, in venom yeah i uh I definitely, I mean, I just, I think I steal from him, honestly. I don't mean to, but you know, you you start, you just, you realize it in your own work later, uh, how much that you take from somebody. I I definitely like how everybody, he's cartoony, but still everybody's like handsome or, you know, pretty, like the way that he does it. I do think, when I did Wolverine, the one thing that I would take back um, is that I definitely went leaned into a more ugly Wolverine where I kind of like uh, this version. I, I, like I said, I was obsessed with um, Joe Mads um, Wolverine and he did this like super feral, like he, he looked like an animal. And so I was kind of leaning into that. But now that I see this stuff, I'm like, you know, I kind of like uh, handsome Wolverine. <laughs> but what I love about this is they're like, they, Mark is able to straddle the line. You get Wolverine sitting down, being annoyed that he's drinking like single malt scotch and it like tastes like barbecue. Mm-hmm. And and he looks dapper in his in his uh, tuxedo and he owns the princess bar. And then a couple pages, you know, later he's torn to shreds, vicious and you know messed up and snarling. And he kind of looks gross and gnarly right and you can get that from the same guy and that's you know it's one of those amazing things about the character who can fit those things Mm -hmm. he's great yeah there's a line in the second issue where wolverine says help me up darling i'm about to get me some payback even if i have to drag myself down there to get it and it's like this really great panel it's very it's like a super close-up shot of wolverine and it's just like that sense of danger is the thing I love about Wolverine. Like, he's he's a good person, but he's a terrifying monster man. Right. 
Yeah, like at any time he can fly off the handle, and that's portrayed so well in this. Yeah. And the other thing that I love, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about it, is Wolverine, like, he is not unkillable. He is, like, nearly killed multiple times. And, like, you know, over the years, he's gotten, like, to the point of, like, you can't stop him. I like pulling that back a little bit and that element of danger. I definitely thought the same thing while I was reading this, like when he gets, you know, run through with a sword and he kind of, he basically dies and he goes to that plane and he sees uh, uh, Jean Grey and he ends up pulling it out. Cause I was thinking like, we've, you know, we have gotten to a point where he's so overpowered, um, you know, like the, there's the story, I can't remember who did it, where he, he basically regenerates from just an eyeball. <laughs> and stuff like that and uh that's you know that's definitely cool don't get me wrong but uh just having the danger there of him possibly dying like he, he definitely he's never in this whenever he's in a battle he is never just like yeah whatever i'll i'll regenerate i'll be fine he does not want to get shot he does not want to get stabbed you know he wants to uh avoid that if he can one of the moments where i feel like you really feel that and you feel like how that like seeds anger and the retribution to come of is comes kind of to fruition in 33 which i think is my favorite scene in this story and it probably is meant to be the readers one of the readers favorite scenes like after he kind of like claws himself out of the grave and then kind of interrogates this person and then we go to another scene and then we come back and he's finally kind of has his like Aragorn coming through the doors moment. And just there's one page with just has four panels and the emotions are just so there. They're so like on the, you know, on every character's sleeve. And I love this one page because I see such a, a line between like German expressionism film to film noir to what this story is because you have these like three close-ups or mid shots mid close-ups that are so like they're like keyframe art you know like that one on the bottom left i love so much with the splash of color behind him and he's got these like hands as yeah. he's kind of shocked to see wolverine there um and then the other guy is just kind of lighting a match to smoke his his cigarette or whatever it, it's just so cool and yeah. the contrast of those things of him coming through the one guy being shocked the boss guy being like i don't know take care of it guys or whatever daikumo and the, yeah. the the dude on the left is goro um so I, awesome you know like these pretty minor characters that larry gives such larry and mark give such personality to mm-hmm. and such feeling to even though they they don't last very long right this just feels like every 80s action movie. Like, they've got this pit open with tigers fighting a wolf. <laughs> of course somebody's got to fall, fall in there, right? Like, it's all, it's like a big set piece, uh, mm. 80s action movie type thing. And, you know, of course the guy goes in and the wolf is fighting the, uh, I mean, uh, this goes back to um, me, if I could have read this when I was 10, this would have just been the coolest thing of all time. I think I would have been following everybody around being like, you have to read this. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now I, I wanted to focus on a couple of those characters because I mentioned Daikumo. He's the, the big bad Yakuza dude who has the spider tattoo on his face, which is like, 
that rules. All the tattoo work in here, I thought was really excellent. In the, in the mm-hmm. first issue, the three dudes with the dragon, the connecting yeah, dragon awesome, tattoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's so cool. And the way Mark illustrates it. And, and like, you know, then you see Daikumo throughout this, who that's just so brazen, uh, like culturally speaking, that is so that's a big energy move. Like that guy is like, I'm into it. Uh, and then you have Goro, who's like the bad dude who has the uh, prophecy that says only a dead man can kill him, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. And it's like very clear what's going on from the, from the get go. Wolverine actually leaves him alive. So the prophecy doesn't come true. He has taken Thunderbolt, which should kill him. But if only a dead man can kill him, then the Thunderbolt won't, then that could leave him alive. That's a good we point. Haven't, we've literally, we, I, I was looking around, we've not seen this character since this story. You could do a story where Goro's been messed up on the Thunderbolt for 20 years, 30 years, comes back for revenge. And he's on like, Wolverine. I can't die. And he's like, the, because the Thunderbolt like makes him superhuman, he's like just this nightmare of a thing. Uh, you could have a lot of fun with that. Uh, you know, Wolverine, like just showing him mercy as punishment. I mean, there's a bunch of ways to do it, but that could be a cool story to tell for Ryan Stegman, writer, artist. All right. I'm, I'm working on it right now. <laughs> yeah. The wheels are turning. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Rico, the 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 one who she worked for Goro um, in this story, she actually ends up showing up a couple times later on. She shows up. Um, she's dead now. But I mean, it's the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, she can come back. Yeah. Um, man, I'm so glad you picked this these these issues, and we still have one more. 34 was actually probably better than the that first arc, right? Alone, um, alone. yeah. This this issue is jam packed. It's crazy. So why do you like 34 even more than the amazing 31 through 33? The fact that they pulled off this great story um, in one issue is pretty incredible, and also just the fact that the re- the big reveal at the end. I almost feel like I, I almost feel like I shouldn't say it because I do want people to read it, but it's old. It's, we're past spoiler range. Uh, <laughs> you find out that Wolverine was in World War One, World War Two, World War Two. That's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah, what a great little detail. And then I I do appreciate the silliness of how they get this into the story where he's like he's fishing in the mountains, which again like. Perfect. Put Wolverine in the mountains, snow. He's in Alberta, Canada. And then these guys just come up and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And he's like, I have a license to be here. And then they're like, well, look out for this bad guy. And he's like, I know where the bad guy is. I can smell him. And then they're just like, come with us. Let's go find this bad guy together. Larry freaking Hama, y'all. Yeah, they, he does. That, that, that takes three pages and mm-hmm. we're set up to have this little adventure. And uh, there's... I mean, it would be it would honestly be enough if they were just hunting this guy and they're trying to catch this guy who's got this girl that he's, you know, running away with. And then you find out that Wolverine was in World War Two. Like, that's plenty. But there's a werewolf in here or, you know, a, a wolf animal story that goes along with it. So it's like it's got like, you know, four or five plots going on. It's incredible. Also, again, I got to go back to to Larry's writing. Um, there's a quote where you're in the flashback in World War II and the sheriff, the Mountie, is thinking about the flashback. And he's like, quote, the air under the flare was pink with blood and the screaming. Lord, the screaming. 
And it's just like the way it's it's Wolverine before he, you know, had the adamantium, you know, he didn't realize he had the bone claws, but he's got this giant knife and he's just just tearing people to shreds, tearing Germans to shreds. And it is wild. Of course, Larry is a is a vet and he was not in World War Two, but he um, like when he writes, you know, military and war scenes. There's just something like extra. To yeah. It. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't know if it was him or if it was Mark took it upon himself, but it seems like Mark went super uh, referenced with all of his World War Two gear. Drawing military gear is hard. It, it just is <laughs> like it's not what we normally draw. We draw guys with big muscles and, uh, you know, their clothes always fit tight. But Mark's clothes are always draped and he, he did an awesome job on the um on the military stuff. I will say one of my favorite things about Mark's art in general is that their clothes always look like they're made out of shredded paper (laughs) or crumpled paper, you know, it's so cool looking. And then, you know, there is a realism to it, but it's, it's still, it's still pure Mark Silvestri. It's, you know, it's his world. There's one thing that I want to point out just because listeners can't see this, but I'll just say it's the page. There's like a, uh, when the character's hanging up, it's, he's a military guy hanging up down upside down from a tree. I feel like this drawing looks like I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you see that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The eyes. The yeah. Eyes. I don't know why I was just like, when I saw that, I was like, God, like it looks like I drew that. How much am I stealing from this? guy? And, and to what you were saying, Tucker, the way you draw noses sometimes, I love when you draw a big bulbous nose and this, like the direction, the angle, Wow, I see it a million percent right now as I'm looking at it on Marvel Unlimited. Oh boy. My last note about uh, Mark's art, the last panel of this story and the dialogue that goes with it is is perfect. Uh, like that's the what a way to end an issue mm-hmm. is just a heartbreaker and so beautiful and subtle and sad and and, and amazing yeah and i wonder if the well i don't know um how uh larry and mark worked at this time i wonder if it was marvel style or if larry was fully scripting but just like one of this the touches in this last scene where they drop the um flashlight and the flashlight is the only light in the scene mm-hmm. it's so perfect these are some good ass comic books. Uh, yeah. and you know what's fun? I was looking. Um, thanks to our producer Mr. for putting in some information in our in our document here. Uh, this came out thirty years ago, to uh, roughly of when we were recording this. Wow. The uh, thirty three came out September eleventh, nineteen ninety, and thirty four came out October 9th, nineteen ninety. There so you these, go. Wow. Thirty years on, these books have aged so perfectly. They are just as damn good today as they were 30 years ago. Absolutely. So Ryan, what I loved about this, in addition to everything we're talking about here, is that the issue 34 story takes place in Canada, a place Mm -hmm. that I have very fond memories of sharing with you. Do you remember our time in Canada at a little restaurant outside of uh, Fan Expo Canada, Toronto, whatever that was. I do. There, it was a sushi restaurant. I believe uh, a very cavalier waiter was telling us about his propensity for uh, stealing comic books on the internet. 
<laughs> which is such an odd thing to do to people who work on the comic books. I got so angry. Oh my god! I got yeah, so I almost like got like physical. I was like, <laughs> everyone here makes our living off of comics. It's we're we're paying for our food here. Should we just walk <laughs> away and steal the food from your restaurant? Like, I was so angry. Yeah, you were furious. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And and so that will always be tied up with my memories of Canada. And I mean, we hate Canada. Canada now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're over. anti-Canada. Yep, Canada is canceled. <laughs> uh, Mr. Stegman, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was fun. Next time you get a cool book on your nightstand, let us know. We'll talk about it again. <laughs> All right, I think I'm. It's going to be the next volume of this series. I got to keep going. <laughs> Oh, I want to hear about your reactions to Albert and LCD when you finally start getting into those stories. I'm excited to get into those stories and what she's all about and why she's just a head that he carries around. Wait till you read her dialogue. Okay. Oh, there's there's a lot to come for you. It's going to be great. Ryan Stegman, thank you. And we'll uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Well, son of a bitch. Maybe we've made a podcaster out of Ryan Stegman after all. We're going to wrap up the episode right there, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Highly encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to the pull list. Follow Ryan and Tucker on their socials. Follow us on our socials, at Stegman Show. You already know what it is. Why am I saying this? You've heard this a hundred times before. A hundred times? Mm, closer to 50 times, Griffin. But, you know, one day, maybe. Uh, we got a fantastic episode with Sam Humphreys next week. We told you that already at the beginning of the episode. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Stay amazing. Nope, not saying it, not saying it. Almost got me. Almost got me. Hey, did you know that the podcast you're listening to right now is actually part of a network of podcasts dubbed the Amazing Friends Podcast Network, Ethan Parker Smith? I did, Griffin Sheridan. And did you know that for other great podcasts, comics, and more, you can visit SheridanandSmith.com? Huh. No shit. Yeah.